0: This podcast is brought to you by the Prince Mahadon Award Conference in collaboration with the Swedish Institute for Global Health Transformation, FHI 360, the World Health Organization, the World Bank, the British Medical Journal, USAID, and Jonathan Foster of Foster Media.
1: We must admit that we do not have the situation under control. I wanted to act as if the house was on fire. Because it is.
0: You're listening to The World We Want, youth voices on climate and health. I'm Jonathan Foster, and in this first of two special podcasts on climate and health... I speak to some of the most amazing youth leaders from all around the world. They come from Fiji, from Argentina, Kenya, Singapore, Egypt, France and Thailand. The latest IPCC report reveals that the climate and health emergency is now widespread, rapid and intensifying. So it appears that current leaders are struggling for a united and coherent approach to the climate and health emergency. Whereas youth leaders I speak to recognize that we're facing a planetary crisis and we're failing to confront this reality. COP26 may well prove to be one of the most crucial and pivotal moments in the history of human civilization. Yes, the house is on fire. So in this first of two special podcasts on climate and health, we'll find out how youth leaders are beating back the flames and helping to create a livable future for all of us. Now, I have to admit, I'm no longer a youth. I was born 52 years ago. Now, on human timescales, that means I'm heading towards being old. (laughs) But geologically speaking, 52 years, well, it's not even the blink of an eye. Which makes it all the more terrifying that today we're talking about geological changes within a human lifespan. The climate emergency is accelerating so quickly that since the mid-1800s, when we began burning fossil fuels on an industrial scale, we've increased the average temperature by 1.2 degrees. Now, 1.2 degrees may sound insignificant, but on a climatic scale that's astronomical, because it means the planet I was born on is not the same planet my children were born on. Think about that just for a moment.
1: We must stop playing with words and numbers because we no longer
2: have time.
0: In this first of two special episodes, we discuss everything from our current economic and social values to leadership and the business-as-usual approach. We talk about human stories from their regions and the way climate affects health. And we talk about their expectations for COP26, what we can do, their hopes for the future and getting involved. We began our conversation by discussing how the latest IPCC report frames the climate and health emergency in terms of human activity.
2: Hi, I'm I'm Nathan, Um, I'm 22 years old, and I'm the advocacy manager of Youth and Environment Europe, uh, one of Europe's largest network of environmental youth-led NGOs, and I'm also um, one of the seven youth advisors on climate change um, to the UN Secretary General. So,
0: Nathan, what do you think? Human activity. uh, Is this a fair way of describing the main driver for climate change? I mean, after all, it is humans doing it, right?
2: Well, I think first the IPCC is really interesting because it's one of the the biggest institutions to talk and to frame the climate crisis and climate change. And when you look at the, the composition of the IPCC, especially in the past you know, 30 years, 20 years, um, that has a huge impact in the science that's being produced. That's how you end up with the problem is human activity. The problem is not human activity. The problem is that we have huge, extremely powerful um, fossil fuel industries that have been framing the climate crisis as a technical problem, as a problem of um, individuals, And that's something that, of course, the IPCC is sometimes uh, forgetting, is that it's also an issue of social justice. It's also an issue of not creating other problems, because that's great. We can fix the greenhouse gas emissions, but then if it's to create even more um, uh, social injustices afterwards, it's not going to work. And to answer your questions, I think we always need to be extremely careful in um, uh, discussing about how climate change and the climate crisis is being framed, because... The same very crisis is being framed by this same very powerful interest.
1: My name is Kamal Narayan, and I'm part of the Sustainable Ocean Alliance as the Pacific Island representative, and also the founder for the uh, Sustainable Ocean Alliance Pacific Hub. And I'm from Fiji. When you say human activities or looking at it from human perspective, it, it just becomes like, oh, you know, climate change is happening because people in the least developing countries or the small island developing countries are still using open fires or, you know, lighting up those wooden stoves. So when you look at human or human activities, people might just end up with very limited perception of what's happening when we're talking about climate change. But in, in reality, it's these other activities like, you know, development, capitalism, economics. Uh, you know, money-making for profit or for advantage that are really the cause of this problem. So it it just rather feels like you're just blaming the entire human race for something that's just being caused by developed nations or the bigger corporations.
2: My name
3: is Maximo Masocco. I'm from Argentina and I'm from a non-profit organization or youth movement called Eco House, whose main objective is to promote sustainable development through education, politics, economy and volunteering for sustainability.
0: So uh, clearly if human activity as a way of framing the crisis is, is biased or a little strange, we need to change the way we think and speak about it. It's not just a technological or a scientific question, right? It's, it's about values.
3: The, the scientific story is, is like, it's part of the why. It shows you the negative consequences. Here is a say in, in, in Latin America that you eat what you grow, right? So the scientific is, are, are the facts, but then you have to put those facts in the society. And we are human beings. And the great, great crisis is not the climate crisis. It's the emotional crisis, the ethical crisis, the existential crisis, why, why we're here. All those basic questions, philosophical questions, in the, it's like we, we forgot them. <laughs>
4: So, hello, I'm Omnia el I'm a plastic and reconstructive surgery resident at Ayn Shams University in Cairo, Egypt. And I'm currently the liaison officer for public health issues for the International Federation of Medical Students Association.
0: I asked Omnia whether we should discuss the crisis as an ongoing social crisis. Is this right?
4: Yes, um, and that's a great question uh, because uh, climate change, for me, I see it as a demonstration of inequality when it comes to intergenerational inequity, as well as social injustices, um, as well as racial, and it crosscuts many different areas. Uh, One of which I personally relate to as a young person who feels um, very passionate about the issue of climate change and really hopeful to see action led by my own country and countries around the world. But at the same time, when I go to these uh, UN uh, conferences and meetings and I see uh, such a slow response and I see a lot of talks with very little impact.
0: Youth leaders are leaving no doubt. We are in a multidimensional crisis that is deeply rooted in a set of social values. To make a transition and put the brakes on this accelerating climate and health emergency, we need a multi-sectorial, interdisciplinary collaboration that unites us all in fair and sustainable solutions. They also left no doubt that the consequences of climate change and health inequalities are felt overwhelmingly by the poorest and most vulnerable people in the world.
5: My name is Labetta Nalani Seru. I'm the the coordinator of the Alliance for Future Generations, Fiji. I also Work for.
0: I'm just going to interrupt Laverta Nalangi for a moment because the list of his commitments as a climate justice activist is incredibly impressive. So I'm going to tell you that you can find out more about him and all of our other leaders in the show notes. So back to the conversation. I asked Laverta Nalangi how climate change was impacting Fiji. Fiji and
5: also the Pacific have, you know, but the front lines experiencing some of the worst impacts um, of. of of climate change in 2016 alone. uh, We had a severe tropical cyclone named Winston. It it was just a matter of, I think, 48 hours. And the social and economic impact was that, you know, it wiped almost one third of our GDP in losses. Um, You know, bouncing back from that kind of situation really takes time. we cannot afford to be experiencing more of such, you know, uh, frequent and also intense disasters. So we need to address climate, um, climate change. And I guess in our work, we, we do that by, you know, linking that to the human story.
0: I also spoke to Elizabeth Watuti. She's the founder of the Green Generation Initiative in Kenya. And don't forget, you can read about Elizabeth and all the other youth leaders in the show notes. So I asked Elizabeth about her experience of the human stories behind our climate and health crisis.
6: The climate crisis is really about the people that have to deal with the worst impacts each and every day. A lot of people feel as though the climate crisis is not there because they're not experiencing the impacts from where they are. But that is not true because the truth is, are people that have to live with the worst impacts every day and this is about the loss of lives and livelihoods this is about that child that has not had a meal for two days due to the droughts in the place and this is about that woman who has had to walk for over 12 miles to look for water to feed her children or the family and this is about that family that have just lost the only place they used to call home to landslides, mudslides or floods caused by the extreme weather conditions. So I think it is time that we begin to see it for that social aspect, because it is about humanity's survival. It is about these people that have to deal with the worst impact, even though they did not even contribute much to it. I'll give a good example with the fact that Africa contributes to less than 5 percent of the global greenhouse gas emissions but again Africans have to be the ones to bear the biggest brand of climate change impacts so this in itself is a huge inequality that the people that have least contributed are the ones that have to suffer the most and they still remain to be the ones that have the least capacity to adapt and the least amount of resources to adapt to this crisis So yes, it is also a social justice issue and it is a matter of recognising the inequalities that exist and then begin to bridge this gap and show solidarity to the most affected people.
0: So COP26 is a crucial moment for the world's governments to commit to collective action and combat not only the climate and health emergency, but also climate and health inequality. The conference aims to operationalize the Paris agreement with governments bringing forward their most ambitious national climate plans ever. However, as Elizabeth just pointed out, global inequality means working together on common goals is much more difficult when experience of the crises are so different. Here's Maximo again, explaining his experience of the situation in Argentina.
3: Here in Argentina, for example, or a lot of countries in Latin America and the Caribbean, because we work regional, we have 50% of poor people in our country. They don't care about climate change because we talk to them every day. We go to poor neighborhoods every day of the year. They don't know what it is and they don't care what it is because they don't have food. So we have like a gap (laughs) between interests The global north is talking about climate change. We are talking about how we get food, how we get clean water, how the global north, for example, don't take every resources we have and leave devastated ecosystems and how we allow that. It's not like they do that. No, 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 no. That doesn't count anymore. We are the new generation. We are all responsible, of course, of course. Some have more responsibility than others. But we have to work all together to change this because we are going to be maybe eight or maybe nine billion in 10 years. And we already have some countries with 50% poor, 60% poor, 70% poor. I was a few months ago working in a, in a poor neighborhood and I, I entered the house of... a. Uh, Relative young woman, she had seven kids in a very, very, very small house with only one toilet, not sewer, not clean water. I opened the tap the in the bathroom, it was black. They live in a garbage disposal place, they are totally contaminated. Their kids has mercury in blood. So can I talk to her about climate change?
1: I mean, you know, there are times when countries come up with policies, recommendations, or ideas that rather like, you know, the developed countries recommend, recommending ideas, policies to the small island developing countries or the least developing countries that this is what you should do. So, you know, you you can come up with these climate change related policies or you know how you can cut down on your uh, greenhouse gas emissions etc but then there's just sitting up there not doing anything about it but instead of in, but instead trying to influence the the smaller countries but then i mean like for example here in the pacific we contribute i think less than 0.03% of the global greenhouse gas emissions and you know and yet we're always the first ones to feel the direct impacts of climate change so Climate change is destroying not just their homes, but their sense of identity and belonging as well. So it, it, it hits you differently, you know, when you talk about climate change.
0: So as Kumal Narayan points out, certain consequences of climate change are obvious. But climate change impacts on identity or a sense of belonging? Laverta Nalangi in Fiji also connected climate and cultural loss.
5: The ancestors' burial grounds is actually not out in the open sea because, you know, it's underwater. So the cultural loss, you know, you cannot put economic value to it and
0: and they've lost it for good. So what about the connection between climate and health? How is that being made? Well, the WHO has released a COP26 special report on climate change and health, where it states that the climate emergency is the single biggest health threat facing humanity. This is also why COP26 is so crucial. It's a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for advanced economies to demonstrate true global solidarity, not only by delivering a more equitable response to COVID-19, but also by making health central to the renewed governmental climate commitments. Later, we'll find out about some of the incredible work Omnia El Omrani has been doing to help develop a climate change curriculum for medical schools around the world. But first, here she is explaining that the relationship between climate change and health is getting clearer.
4: We actually did a survey uh, 10 years ago And then we did the same survey in COP25. So 10 years later, we asked the delegates whether they think health is related to climate change or not. It was interesting to see that there was a statistically significant increase. People are more aware of how human health is related to climate change. Now it's even more exciting to see that because of COVID, more people are now asking, okay, how is COVID-19 related to climate change? And then you start explaining to them that it's not just COVID, it's infectious diseases that are increasing. People suffering from asthma because of air pollution. Uh, Children suffering from malnutrition because of crop failure. Um, Injuries because of natural disasters that are happening all over the world. The flooding, the hurricanes and so on. And finally, mental health related issues. The stress, the anxiety, the post-traumatic stress disorder because of climate change. Climate change is a human health issue. Another aspect that has been increasing the story Around the link between human health and climate change is the health community itself. When you see doctors in many countries, like for example in Germany, in the US, doctors and nurses uh, attending the climate strikes with the banners talking about how uh, respiratory diseases are increasing, cardiovascular diseases are increasing because of climate change. So, and and this, and, and In addition, in in IFMC, we're also focusing on transforming medical education as well as health education to include the effects of climate change so that we have powerful advocates, which is the health community, telling the right story to the decision makers and so on. Another thing I have to acknowledge, which is the work of the World Health Organization. I have seen over the, the years how... It, they start you know, attending the climate change conference with a side event here, two side events, three. This year, they're going to have a pavilion uh, that only talks about health and climate change. And this is an accomplishment. And what we're seeking is that we would like to see in the next year, the main theme for, let's say, COP27 or 28 is health and climate change, where policymakers are talking about how human health and climate change can be acted upon.
0: According to that WHO special report I just mentioned, the world's health systems can only function properly when health workers can respond to the challenges they face. So as with COVID-19, the climate emergency needs its own specific approach, which requires specific training, resources, research and support programmes. Here's Omnia again, talking about how as a youth leader, Working with organisations like the WHO and the Swedish Institute for Global Health Transformation, SITE, and the UN helped her to develop and to contribute to creating changes in medical schools around the world.
4: One important thing was working with incredible experts around the world, either the WHO, at SITE, at the UN, um, and travelling and seeing different contexts and being inspired by their work was also you know, a a personal development experience for me. Also, the project that I was most passionate about was education, uh, because we conducted a global survey where we asked medical students from 112 countries whether climate change was mentioned in the curriculum or not. And we were able to do the analysis and we discovered that only 15% of them had a mention of climate change, which means that doctors and um, the future health workforce, they are not well prepared to address the needs, the health needs of their communities. And this was really um, a powerful tool for me to use when it comes to delivering interventions because now we have the evidence to do that. And afterwards, I worked with a group of eight medical students and we developed a climate change curriculum uh, for our students around the world to use and to integrate in their own universities. At the same time, we were offered another opportunity to develop a nutrition course for medical students for health and sustainability. And this so far, the course started in November. We've had the participation of over 1,600 medical students from around the world. Um, And this has been a really good push for us to work more on the climate change curriculum competencies.
0: I just want to take a second here to remind you that this is the first of two special podcast episodes. The second episode will be released in the spring of 2022, just before the Stockholm Plus 50. Stockholm Plus 50 is an international meeting convened by the United Nations General Assembly to be held in Stockholm, Sweden. So make sure you don't miss it by subscribing to The World We Want, Youth Voices on Climate and Health on your podcast platform now. Let's get back to the conversation. So incredible youth leaders like Omnia are not only planning and implementing new interventions on their own, they're also painting a clear picture, one of climate and health inequality and injustice, where even the way we talk about climate and health creates consequences that are felt unequally across the globe. Again and again, I was told that we need to implement rapid and ambitious new programs and to take action to halt and reverse the various crises, including health. With this in mind, I asked, what do they expect from COP26? So let me introduce Vanasing Prasetkul from Thailand. Actually, I'll, I'll let him introduce himself.
7: Hello, uh, my name is Wanasingh Singh Kun, but uh, nickname is Singh. I started off as a documentary maker uh, and have been converting into an environmental activist in the last few years. And I do my activism mainly through my media, but sometimes uh, I step off from media making into politics, political matters and activism in other ways as well, but mainly focus on climate change and other kinds of environmental issues in Thailand.
0: Okay, so uh, Singh, COP26 is approaching. How do you feel? What are you expecting in relation to both Thailand and the world?
7: Um, well, domestically, I think Thailand is going to announce its own uh, net zero target. So it shows that among the political circle in Thailand, still, there are those who take care of these issues. But publicly, not a lot of people are paying attention not a lot of people is tracking all these numbers, all these goals that we have. So there's no political pressure to to make it happen in the future. But internationally, this is the 26th COP already. And i have been looking at emission number, it's always increasing and not at a lower rate. Increase at a constant or increasing rate. So there's no enforcement regarding carbon emission, only agreement. There's no uh, credibility if someone actually emits a lot of carbon, they don't have to to compensate any nation, they are not obligated to. There's no international law and rules right now. It's only good wills and agreements and things like that. So I think technologically, we have solutions available for us in a lot of uh, sectors before, no matter it's alternative energy, uh, vehicles, or different kinds of food production. But in order to apply those in the scale that that's meaningful to the change, to fight against climate change. You need international corporations, right? And something like COP haven't proved that useful so far. We got that Paris Agreement a few years back, but still the emission number hasn't gone down. Only the reason it's gone down is because of COVID. And we all know that's not a long-term trend. It's only a short-term shock to the system. And so unless this COP26 come up with a new, new kind of new world order that we have like after World War II, that every kind of nation stops invading each other because we have UN to settle our differences and things like that. Then I think we need new kind of political tools because we keep hearing all these deadlines, all the increasing rate of Wi Fi, of carbon emission, of uh, heat waves every year, and people have been desensitized to it.
0: For maximum, Mosoko. Musical... Top represents the intangible question of trust and the very tangible question of economics.
3: I think we we more or less can guess what is going to happen, right? It's like it's like hilarious. Big announcements, really big announcements of climate emission, 50% of reduction of emissions to 2030, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera big announcement, announcements about money, how much money we are going to invest because we have one question right now. How are, what are we going to do this? When we have the whole economy is based on carbon fossils, the whole economy, everything we do, this conversation we are having is based on carbon, oil, gas, etc, if we want to reach a little bit the ambition that we said we are going to, I don't know, achieve by 2030, we have to invest. So how we do this? is the big question. And we need money. We need a lot of money.
0: Yes, how are we going to do this indeed? Well, it's certainly a question of money. And it's about nations reducing their national emissions and adapting to the impacts of climate change, which is why a lot of hope is pinned on governments presenting their renewed NDCs, their national determined contributions, at COP26. Here's Laverta Nalangi again, where he's talking specifically about the Warsaw International Mechanism for Loss and Damage. Now, this is basically designed to address not only extreme weather events like the tropical cyclone Winston, but also to address slow-onset climate events, things like loss of biodiversity, sea level rise, desertification, land and forest degradation.
5: We hope that, retreat, you know, prior to COP26, that most of the developed countries will come back with... Uh, you know, stronger, ambitious um, national determined contributions, the NDCs, which is, you know, the the, the national plans on how they will mitigate and adapt um, to to climate change. Uh, We also want to see them, especially larger developed uh, countries, increase their contributions to climate finance um, that will, you know, support countries, who do not have the kind of economic capabilities to respond. For instance, I said, Winston, that was one event alone, wiping away almost one third of our our, our GDP. So what we're seeing within Fiji is that as a result of disasters, our government has to repurpose or reprioritize budget. So, that's that's uh, the reality for many uh, Pacific Island countries. In, in Fiji, we do not have uh, you know the, the finance to constantly fund recovery. We want we want to see more climate um, uh, pledges in terms of finance from these countries so that you know cushion some of the, the finance difficulties for for our own countries, small island countries. We want loss and damage to be you know. Uh, Uh, to be a standalone agenda item within the UNFCCC talk for many years now, uh, loss and damage has been sort of sidelined, you know, they don't want to bring that up, but loss and damage is actually something we're experiencing daily. We are losing lands, ancestral lands, we're losing livestock, etc. Some have economic value, some doesn't, you know, they have, uh, uh, they're just priceless beyond, you know, any economic uh, value. So we want, no loss and damage to be a separate agenda item. And also there must be a separate finance financial mechanism to support loss and damage, uh, especially for vulnerable island countries in the Pacific and um, in the Caribbean, uh, Bangladesh and, and others, yeah.
0: So how do youth leaders feel about the goals of COP26? Can we reach them? Are they enough? Will they support the most impacted nations? Here's Nathan again.
2: I think on, on, on the goals it's always the same thing, you know. The one we had last year or the one we'll have next year are not any different from um, the Paris Agreement. We we have an agreement. Um, and this agreement has been taken in 2015 during the COP 21, um, and and this is the, the the main thing we have to focus on. And the issue is that even the thing that were promised there, um, the the most technical or, you know, the, the tools we had planned, um, or work, were work planned, are not being respected and this is a huge issue because how can global south countries or let's say developing countries or whatever we call them can trust uh, those who have contributed the most and those who have created this neoliberal system as well which is extremely um, consuming uh, in terms of resources, in terms of fossil fuels how can they trust the change to happen if this very little basic commitment is not happening we need also to think about reducing our consumption we need to think about reducing um, the way um, we, we produce and, and this is something that I think is, is quite um, uh, completely not present in the conversation
0: Interestingly that was something that Vivek Menoharan from Singapore brought up He'll introduce himself in a moment, but this is what he said about consumption.
8: Capitalism has somehow associated your value, your self-esteem, your self-respect with consumption, uh, be it flashy cars or your clothes or whatever. Even in terms of uh, you know your representation in social media. Uh, in fact, there's a very popular joke in our circle. Uh, the problem with sustainable c- consumption, you know, there's something called sustainable consumption. The problem is the consumption part. So <laughs> uh, if you want a sensible tone, <laughs> uh, My name is uh, Vivek Manavar. So I, I, I am a former academic scientist, uh, now uh, into a new role as a, a biomedical entrepreneur, as well as a SDG communication activist uh, in Singapore and in India.
0: I asked Vivek if he was surprised we're not reaching the goals we've already set. Vivek believes we have some solid technological solutions to reach them, but not the political will to implement them. He believes that one of our root problems is a failure to communicate both Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs, or COP26 goals properly. I also asked Vivek what message he has for leaders at COP26. To to me, this was expected, uh,
8: because uh, because I've been in the SDG journey for quite a while especially looking very closely at climate change and activism and others and uh, to be, when I was looking at the data uh, in terms of how uh, close we are to achieving those SDGs and it's not a surprise because um, there are a lot of factors to it and, and the most fundamental factor is the lack of a strong political will uh, in fact uh, I would argue that uh, uh, we have enough technology to solve these SDGs we do have uh, in terms of climate change renewable energy, water, we at least uh, we have technology which could be scaled, of course, I'm not talking about game changing technologies, but at least technologies which could make a solid impact uh, is available uh, scientifically proven methods, but uh, surprisingly, it's not being scaled. The scaling up has issues and that comes down to, uh, you know, lack of political will and lack of the value which the investors see, you know. Majority of the capital, uh, venture capital, or the capital required is being held by the capital system, which is looking at profit. And they don't see value. The political will to scale up doesn't see value. Uh, and uh, I, it's a very surprising problem we have. But it's the lack of political will that is disallowing us to implement this. You, you ask me for uh, what I would uh, say to the world leaders in the, the cop side. I would go there. I would flash this uh, big code, and I would just step away. The single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the message I want to personally give to these members, guys. Uh, you really think that communication has taken place? People are all aware of climate change, sustainability, and everything, but no, not really. You are, have you have an illusion that it has taken place.
4: Yeah, it's. It's been very interesting to to think about COP26. My main area of work in my organization is climate change, and suddenly I had to switch all my efforts, all my attention towards COVID-19. While this last year was a very critical year for climate change, because the countries were submitting their national climate action plans, so I... I am very hopeful when it comes to the momentum that COP26 is going to bring back, uh, highlighting the urgency of climate change. I've attended two previous uh, climate change conferences, uh, which is the Conference of the Parties in Poland and in Madrid, and what I've noticed is that um, there has been um, an evident lack of demonstrating uh, responsibility between countries As well as, you know, um, the term business as usual, that we should not be continuing the business as usual approach. And this has been highlighted more than ever with the COVID-19 pandemic, which demonstrated that business can stop and uh, emissions can be reduced. It's not just COVID-19, which is an emergency. Climate change is an emergency.
0: Whilst Omnia is hopeful that COP26 will create a new momentum, and apply the same urgency and action to climate change as we employed with COVID-19. Elizabeth, back in Kenya, wants a focus on the regeneration of our natural ecosystems. Here's Elizabeth.
6: One thing that I really want and hope for in COP26 is that the COP will lend the voices for nature. And I'm looking at a COP26 and beyond where one of the things that must happen, must include putting nature at the center of the climate conversations. We have seen less political attention when it comes to nature. And this is because all the discussions that are about tackling the climate crisis have only been centered around reducing reducing the carbon emissions. But we know that to stay within the 1.5 degrees Celsius, we also need to preserve every remaining natural ecosystem on the planet. And then we need to create green, clean and resilient cities with equal access to green spaces and then we also need to massively increase investments and efforts in regenerating nature in addition to stopping the investments in fossil fuels so I really hope that the COP can for once center around nature because we have had nature as one of the side conversations and not really putting it among the main conversations at the COP and we know that this is really important because it's about addressing both the climate and ecological crisis at the same time and we cannot be able, we cannot in any way separate the two of them if we have to achieve any real change.
0: As Elizabeth points out, we have no choice. We need real change. We cannot go on with the business as usual model. COP26 is a meeting between world leaders, the hopes and futures of everyone not only youth are riding on the decisions and agreements they take nathan back in france says that pressure coming from youth movements will help to make a difference
2: i think there's this one uh huge tremendous difference between the leaders of yesterday's um, even when they were our age and today is that they didn't have to live with this huge uh, fear that you feel every single morning of your life when you think about it, um, that everything could collapse, that, you know, everything... Um, is just gonna collapse if no action is is being taken and i think this is one of the very very biggest um, uh, differences that we're living with this echo anxiety and and i think this is really what is the big difference and therefore i believe this is going to change us and i see this is changing us the way the youth advisory group of the UNsg is talking to the UNsg and the un institutions i don't think that ever happened in history uh, we are completely transparent completely unfiltered and we receive the strategy from the UNSG um, in, in December two thousand and twenty. It was all about climate mitigation, climate adaptation, climate finance. Okay, that's great, but where is the biodiversity element? Where are you thinking about ocean in that? Um, how do you think about social justice? How do you connect this with the rise of inequalities and the fact that just a couple of of, of dozens of of uh, uh, white folks on half of the planet, uh, resources, businesses, and and wealth and i'm convinced that people who work on these issues today who are working this civil society facing so many issues with financing management etc they'll be the leaders of tomorrow as well
0: and nathan's right today's youth leaders are going to be the leaders of tomorrow but what will that tomorrow be like and what a challenge they're going to have because everyone i've spoken to on this podcast singh vivek komal Nathan, Elizabeth, Omnia, Laverta Nalangi and Maximo, they've all pointed out that we've got the climate emergency, we've got biodiversity devastation, we've got ongoing social and political and climate injustices, rising inequality, poverty and the consequent health challenges that come with all of this. So it's not going to be easy. What kind of leaders do they want? Here's Maximo again, back in Buenos Aires.
3: We we talk about leaders all the time. Leaders, leaders, leaders. Are they prepared to be leaders? Because we think we believe politics is the administration of the common good. Do you see a lot of politicians that do that, administrate the common good? Because administrate the common good is not only your country. Common good involves every human being and the other species of the planet. That's common good. We are part of the common good as, as leaders. In this new era, we, we are starting. We are in a great transition because of all the changes we already said that we had to do. That's how we think as a movement. That's why we started being one, and now we are thousands. And we are doing a lot of stuff. And it's not enough, but we don't care. It's not enough. (laughs) We don't care. Someday it's going to be enough because we see changes, small, but we are seeing them. They're real. We can touch them if we continue and we are constant. And if we do that with a common objective, That for us are, for example, for example, the Sustainable Development Goals, we can add more, we can take, we don't care if it it comes from the UN, the the, the idea of the the goals. Poverty zero, hunger zero, that's the same for us. So if we work with with that every day, we know that we are going to see something materialized. If I had to say something is that we had to work really hard to recover the sense of community that we lost it. We totally lost it. And don't lose faith in humankind. That's, that's the message, <laughs> that's the message. There's a lot of people involved. There's a lot of people trying to do the right thing. There's a lot of people doing the right thing, not only trying. So we just need to be a little bit more. One day we are going to be a little more because we are growing.
0: The questions and the topics being raised by these amazing youth leaders are certainly brave. I hear them asking how. How are we going to move beyond our current political and cultural and psychological and structural worldview, and really engage with our social values and the underlying environmental reality that's feeding the climate and health emergency? I hear them asking, is the current narrative we have about the world more important than the actual physical environment in which we live? So I ask them, will these questions be resolved? How do they feel about the future? Basically, what are they positive about?
5: I guess what I feel positive and feel good about is this resurgence of young people, the the passion of you know trying to build a fairer, equitable, and sustainable present and also sustainable future for all is something that drives me. Each day, um, each week, we, you know, we receive interest from young people who say, you know, I'd like to be part of the network and contribute. What can I do? So many young people have realized the kind of global challenges that's in front of us and are stepping up. Uh, and make a change. I feel positive that these new young leaders will be able to uh, speak up against some of the elephants in the room. My generation is in good hands because of the people across different backgrounds, across different, you know, the Alliance for Future Generation is diverse. We have different ethnicity, different uh, political affiliations, race and gender, you and we are all united under this common cause of empowering each other and also building uh, like I said, a fairer, equitable and and sustainable um future for all of us and also for our future generations.
1: Yeah. So the more genuine people we have on board and the more young people that become involved, it, it just shows that, you know, young people all over the world are doing such an amazing job, you know. Holding their leaders accountable, holding their governments accountable, uh, influencing young people at the same time, so creating these waves of change. These are really um, positive things that are happening around us. And then I, I am, and then from experience, I do know that you know, um, you know, through podcasts and uh, through through contacts with youth from other parts of the world, you actually sort of contribute to some. Uh, some positive impacts. So, yeah, I guess it all just comes down to um, the, the mindset of every individual. And then, and, and, you know, at the same time, how, how can you sort of uh, be able to work together with youths from all over the world? And how, how are you also able to hold your leaders accountable? Because, you know, they have a greater say in policies and decision making. So, how can you or like, you know, your actions influence those policy making decisions as well?
0: Well, thank you so much. You're like a a marketing department for the podcast world. That's perfect.
6: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm glad I could be of help. For me, it is about the passion. The people that are making these decisions, I do not think they really care about this planet and about the future of this planet. Because if they did care, they would be making the right decisions. Maybe they make decisions for the next 50 years because they assume they will not be there to live in that kind of a world. That shows you that they do not care about the generations that are going to inherit this planet. So for me, it is about the pattern. It is about being concerned about how every decision you're making today is going to impact this planet. I would just add a lot of inspiration that I draw from the late Professor Ngai Mathai, who was the first African woman to win the Nobel Peace Prize. She greatly inspires me in so many ways. And one of the things that she has passed on was the power of one person, that each one of us can make a difference, but collectively we are a force. So I think the best thing that everyone should be doing right now is to really make sure that we are building that collective force and really uniting and supporting and being in solidarity with the people that are the most affected by this crisis. Because at the end of the day, what is going to matter is if we will be counted as the generation that did everything in their power to tackle the climate and ecological crisis. I want to be counted among that generation and I hope everyone else really wants to be counted as that generation that did everything in their power. What kind of answers do you want to give to your children or grandchildren and they asked you what you did? to save the planet, or what you did to stop the climate and ecological crisis. How do you want to respond? I think that is what should cause everyone to do everything in their power, in their positions, whether individuals, corporations or governments, to be able to help us tackle this crisis once and for all.
0: And on that note, I'd like to say that the opportunity to talk to these youth leaders has been an absolute privilege. They are courageous, they are inspiring, and they are working relentlessly for, as Maximo puts it, the common good. I'd like to thank them all for taking part and sharing their passion and their knowledge. And if you want to be counted amongst that generation that did everything they could to fight the climate and health emergency, then join your local youth group or start one yourself. Get involved while we still have time. My name is Jonathan Foster. Thanks for listening.
1: We must stop playing with words and numbers because we no longer have time...